Welcome to the Haberstroh Show podcast, episode two. I'm your host, Tom Haberstroh, and this week's guest is a good one. He's Daryl Morey, the GM of the Houston Rockets and the NBA's reigning executive of the year. Even though, as he'll tell you later, he sure doesn't feel like he deserves that distinction right about now. Maury runs the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. He's a musical producer and a good follow on Twitter at D-M-O-R-E-Y, D-Maury. We'll talk about the Rockets' slow start, the whole bizarre, mellow situation, whether he's gotten over the last year's Western Conference Finals. And finally, he explains his controversial opinion, very controversial, that Michael Jordan is not the GOAT. But before we begin, remember to smash that subscribe button, rate five stars, and leave a review. Please! Please, I promise you, it'll help your plus minus in life. Now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Some listeners may know you as the nerdy archetype, the guy that Bill Simmons dubbed Dork Elvis, a nickname which I know you hate, but people don't know that you are a theater buff and even produced a musical called Small Ball, which premiered in April at the Catastrophic Theater in Houston. And that's an amazing name for a theater, Catastrophic. I'd love to hear more about that, how how they came to get that name for a theater, but welcome to the show. I, I, I'm the, the people out there, they are very upset that I'm calling it the Haberstro show rather than the Haber show. Um, so, uh, I don't think we can change it at this point, but, um, Daryl, welcome to the Haberstro show. Not quite yet. The Haber show. I love the lead in. I appreciate it, Tom. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, Haberstow show sounds good. You got, got a little rhyme going there. Fit into a musical. Do you like Mori Ball? Did you did you uh, put your stamp on approval on Mori Ball? I I try to stay out of all the all the nicknames. I do I do not like Dork Elvis, as you say. But you don't you know if you if you let other people know you don't like it, they'll they'll use it more. So um, yes. I've always I've always kept. I haven't told Bill that, so don't tell him. <laughs> well, for those who want to believe you're a heartless calculator clutching dweeb, this is kind of hard to fathom that you run a pro basketball team, but you love musicals and Broadway. I'm convinced this is all a ruse to make people believe you're a human being with a family and non-spreadsheet interests, right? Like you, you actually appreciate Andrew Lloyd Webber just as the same as Chris Webber. Data became uh, sentient towards the end a little bit. I think he caught his human side at the end of Star Trek. So maybe that's my awakening or something like that Venn diagram of nerd or math nerd with sports fan and theater like you had all three. Yeah, so I try not to be put into a box. I think you're the same way, Tom. I think, uh, you know, people who know me are actually surprised. They uh, people call me sort of a data guy because, you know, I've 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 always been I was almost went into music full time a long time ago, way back when I was in high school. It was it was a path. My best friend ended up in the symphony and uh, in the uh, Akron, Cleveland area. So. So anyway, yeah, people, people who know, knew me all for a long time are a little surprised that I get stereotyped as a spreadsheet jockey. What, what was your instrument or what were you a singer? What was your instrument back back when? I wish I wish I could sing that. That's a useful skill your whole life. No, <laughs> I uh, I get keyboard and uh, anything with a mouthpiece. So, you know, trombone, tuba, trumpet, all those. I could play all those. Well, how, how did your small ball musical go? I mean, I found it fascinating that it was the ticket price was pay what you can. And I think it ran for about a month in the playoffs. And like that must have been difficult. Like you're playing in the in the playoffs and also your show is running at basically Houston's Broadway. So what was that like? 
Yeah, I mean, most of the work has been over the last five years. So when we were in the playoffs, obviously, I was focused on the Rockets. You know, people who have worked on a show know it's it's pretty much uh, turnkey by the time you get to the 10th performance or whatever. Um, so, yeah, no, it was it was pretty intense. Uh, obviously, we had the best playoff run the Rockets have had since, you know, geez, uh, since, since the championship years. And we're just a hamstring, hamstring away. But... Uh, yeah, no, and then Paley can shout out to Dick Taylor, uh, came up with, or uh, one of the many economists who came up with pay what you can and it raises more money. It's a chair, you know, it's a nonprofit theater that, uh, that, that put the show on and it was a sold out run. It was fun. Um, and, and yeah, I appreciate you're distracting me from our, our horrible, horrible start. So, uh, <laughs> very, very kind, Tom. So I think this you. is how interviews are supposed to go is I'm supposed to butter you up and then you just basically give me then everything. You're supposed to slam me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can I slam you right <laughs> I now? I will not be full. I will not be full. Yeah, sure. So All right. I'm going to I deserve slamming right right now, sadly. So. Well, let me know if this sounds familiar. In 2014-15, you guys reached the West Finals with James Harden, uh, and you lose to the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. Then the next season, you get off to a slow start with your second star, Dwight Howard, in and out of the lineup. You make a coaching change in November. Then it was Kevin McHale out. And this year, you bring Jeff Bizdelic back. You finish 41-41 and 41 that season. And it seems like there's like a hangover effect in Houston. Why, Daryl? Is this going to be different this season? That it's not exactly what happened in 2016 when when things seemed to fall apart after you guys got to the West Finals. Yeah, I understand the parallels are people are drawing because that's what people are good at, right? Like we're really good at finding patterns when they're there, and and we're also very good at finding patterns when they're not there. So yes, uh, I, I understand the comparison. Obviously, you know some of it's managing success. I mean, generally, it's a little bit. Uh, regression of the mean uh, mm-hmm. in that, you know, we had a lot of things go right last year. We, we, we had, you know, career years from players. We had, uh, you know, we did have our share of injuries with Chris Paul early, uh, but, you know, we had uh, our full contingent going uh, into the playoffs, uh, except uh, Luke Embamute. So, so, I mean, we, we had a lot of things go right. And I think, people, you know, you do have to recognize that. And, and this year we've had, we've had a lot of things not go right. We've had, uh, uh, you know, acquisitions not uh, go as well as we'd hope. We've had, uh, you know, we've had a lot of weird shot luck. We've had guys suspended, guys hurt. I think we're literally down to like seven guys for our game coming up against uh, Dallas at home. So, yeah, no, we've had a lot of things. But to be frank, I like taking your lumps early is the, is when you want to take them. You want to peak in April. When we've had our full contingent, we've still played at a level very similar to last year. We've won more than two-thirds of our games when we've had uh, Chris and, and James playing. And so we're not panicking, but we're very diligent. We, we do recognize we need to make some changes and then improve things going forward. Why do you think this iteration of the team, obviously every team thinks they're going to go 82 and 0 going into the season, but why do you think Carmelo Anthony did not work out in Houston? And what is that situation as we sit here today? Yeah, no, he, he can still really help a team. Yeah. I think just how things evolved in terms of uh, how we were, how we were using him. uh, We thought, we really thought that was going to work. And, uh, you know, to be fair to Carmelo, I, I, you know, I do really think he can help a team and, uh, and I think a team's going to, going to nab him here, uh, pretty shortly is my, my guess. Um, but in terms of like how things evolved for us and our, our heavy use of uh, switching defense, which, 
Uh, we had a mix last year. We ended up finishing using it pretty exclusively, but yep. we had a mix of that last year. And, uh, um, you know, that was one thing that wasn't uh, a perfect fit. And, you know, it really is mostly on me, honestly. I, I, I saw the fit there and it, it really, uh, it really uh, didn't uh, go the way uh, I thought it would. I know you're hard on yourself and you're taking the blame on this one, but what was the draw for Carmelo Anthony in this team? I mean, I know he's going to be a Hall of Famer and he's one of the best scorers of all time. But as a GM, people might look at you and say, oh, Daryl has, you know, as a uh, Carmelo Anthony's skills are probably not Mori ball in the sense that it's a lot of volume scoring and not much defense. And I would imagine that people would not expect you to fall in love with a player like Carmelo Anthony. If, if he's not as efficient as he used to be, or at his peak of his powers, people I think overrated him because of the points per game and not necessarily the, uh, the efficiency at which he got those points every night. So what was the idea for Carmelo Anthony and, and how did yeah, it not no. work out? Yeah, so he's he's a very talented player, like super skilled at a, at a lot of things, and uh, uh, especially the ability to shoot and and honestly the ability to get get his shot off uh, against uh, multiple looks and and situations. He's also been in a lot of uh, really big games, and um, you know a big thing we obviously value is floor spacing. And yep, um, you know he was you know he he was very good at actually getting helping our spacing. You know he was. He was behind the three-point line most of the time. Uh, all those things on offense that we thought were going to help us did. It was it was really more on the other end that you know I thought there was going to be uh, where we were maybe playing. Uh, you know we call it catch defense. You know it's the different names for it around the league. But uh, in terms of how we were playing defense, uh, I thought we were going to uh, go with a mix of that, uh, like we did last year. We were over the course of the season last year. We were you know, 50, 50 on playing switching versus versus catch. And, uh, we've gone with uh, full switching this year. And then that obviously worked down the stretch for us, but, uh, <laughs> we weren't really sure that that was going to be what we were going to do, um, you know, all season. And, uh, it was really more on the defensive side of the ball in terms of, uh, any, any, any player who's sort of a floor spacer, um, and, uh, can put a threat on the defense on the offensive end, but, but has the, uh, you know, sort of the skill set of a spacing of a spacing for yep. uh, a full switching defense actually is a little tough for them. And that's why you don't see it uh, played too often uh, with, you know, a guy who's more of a spacing for. Do you think, Daryl, Michael Lewis, after he wrote Moneyball back in 2003, you were hired in 2007. You were 33 years old, which I'm turning 33 in January. And that's crazy that you're you were a GM at 33 years old. Um, but Michael Lewis once said that Moneyball probably cost the A's an opportunity or two. Uh, basically, when you publish the secret code of, you know, ma maximizing market inefficiencies and identifying uh, things in the marketplace that are underpriced. Um, so at that time, it was on base percentage. Defense kind of came after that and then pitching, uh, relief pitching. But Brian Cashman back then, he said that the, it's like Coke. 
Brian Cashman was a GM of the Yankees, by the way. It's like Coke and their secret yes. formula. You do not want to let the secret formula out. Do you think, Daryl, this is kind of what's happening with the three-point shot and the Rockets? Until five seasons ago, no team had taken more than 33 pointers in NBA history. Then you came along, uh, and now 30 is league average. Actually, a little bit more than 30. It's about like 31, I think, is the league average in three-pointers. So do you kind of feel like that edge or that market inefficiency of taking three pointers is kind of conventional wisdom now in the league. And that's sort of what's hurting you here. Yeah, that hurts us. I mean, we, we obviously create a huge edge uh, across the league and in terms of our ability to get players that sort of fit how we play and then also play that way. Uh, for sure, that edge is eroding. Our job is to find the next one. Uh, I think, you know, the, the whole secret thing in sports is a little bit of a misnomer. Uh, I think maybe in the NFL it applies a little more because, you, you know, you, you, you really do have, you know, new things that are sprung on people. But in a in a five on five game, unfortunately, you, you know, you eventually have to put your secret. It would be like, the, you know, if the to use Brian Cashman's thing, the, you can keep the secret Coke formula in the vault. Uh, and, and that's, and that's fine. Like you can keep it hidden away, but the reality is, uh, eventually you have to put it on the floor. So it's, it's not like it's any mystery how we play, you know, the kinds of things that we keep close to the vest are, our, you know, sort of acquisition strategies and our, uh, you know, how we forecast players and things like that. But in terms of like, you know, how we play, you know, there's really no secrets in the league. You have to put it on the floor and, uh, the coaches are extremely good and they study everything. So, uh, unfortunately, those those edges uh, were going to erode no matter no matter what anyone did. Do you almost want to keep those things close to the vest until the playoffs? Not really. I mean, frankly, like I wish the NBA was a little more complicated like the NFL and that there is a lot of on the court optionality. There, there really isn't a ton in basketball. There's I think Coach D'Antoni has innovated a lot of things on offense. But as soon as it's on the floor, it's pretty easy to adjust to. So, yeah, you might catch a. Maybe you catch a team off guard and for a half in, in the playoffs or maybe even at the most for a game. But the other side, I mean, all, all 30 coaches are extremely, extremely good with extremely good staffs. Like, there's really no surprising uh, team in the NBA. I, w- I wish there was more of it. And sometimes you can you can hold a end of game play back. I've seen Coach D'Antoni do that. So maybe you, you have a certain play that you, you're holding back. But you know, in terms of like an entire, you know, set of things you're doing that you're going to surprise a team in the playoffs, that that really doesn't happen. So you used to work with Sam Hinkie. He was your number two there in Houston. And I wanted to ask you about this because I think about this all the time is Jimmy Butler going to the the 76ers is very much, in my opinion, kind of what the process was all about is if you accumulate a lot of assets, and try to take swings in the at the high end of the draft, or I guess you know try to get Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, Nerlens Noel, uh, try to get the number one pick. Eventually, those things, those little seeds, will grow into these roots that will build an entire franchise. And so he got Robert Covington uh, basically off the waiver wire, gave him that guarantee, that non guaranteed contract, and then he becomes a major piece in getting a star player. So Sam hasn't been in the NBA in quite some time in the last couple of years, but in many ways, his vision has come true is that they have Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler after a, f- a couple of years of losing. So was that something that uh, when he was, I guess he resigned, was that something that you were like, man, I can't wait to see how this plays out because I kind of feel like the verdict will 
be out in a couple of years. And once Joel Embiid and, uh, you know, Jaleel Okafor didn't work out there. But what is your read on what happened with the, the Philadelphia 76ers a couple of weeks ago with Jimmy Butler? And is this kind of what uh, Sam was envisioning? Yeah, I mean, I don't focus too much on the Sixers, frankly. Obviously, when Sam was there, I was very focused on it. But uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, when you're when you're in that sort of rebuilding phase, no matter what team it is, and we were we were that team in Houston for that period between Yao Ming and Trace McGrady and and James Harden, and there there aren't you have to go through it in a very diligent, focused way. And uh, obviously, when Sam was there in Philly, and then Brett Brown was there as well. Obviously, they were a a team sort of working on turning that team around uh, together and they put in all these assets and you're hundred percent right. Like the whole point of gathering all the draft picks and things like that is to make a big move later. And they're in that phase where they're on the upswing now and trying to win the, the East. And uh, you know, they're a little like us. They've had some bumps in the road early, you know, Philly has Boston has, we have, a lot of the people thought were the top teams are sort of starting out of the gate a little slow, except Toronto, who honestly looks like, you know, better than us last year. They, they look like they could easily win the title this year. So to answer your question, I really uh, am happy, you know, that that sort of foundation has been turned. I wish Sam was still there to, to do it, but uh, I've gotten to know Elton pretty well. And uh, he seems like he's going to do an amazing job for them. Uh, and uh, that the move uh, to get Jimmy Butler seems like such a such a strong move for them. You know, there's this like notion that Sam Hinkie, no matter where he would go, he would try to be like a uh, private equity and just gut the place and then build it from square one like he did with the process. But that's not the case. Like that was just the the vision that he had for that particular situation. It's not like he was banging on your door in Houston and being like, hey, we got to get rid of everybody and try to be an eight win team. No, no. When he was here, obviously we worked together. The path we chose was the one we chose and that was the best. We really couldn't uh, do the uh, teardown, but when he took over Philly, that was the right uh, path for them was, was to make the early trades he did. And then to go through, that was the best path for them. It really is very contextual and he's doing, you know, he and I and uh, all the GMs in the league are doing the same thing. We're, we're trying to optimize our championship uh, probability and that, it's a very contextual thing. You want to optimize it over a, a multi-year period. And uh, it really depends on your, you know, your team, the, the context of the opponents, like what picks you have, uh, what team players are on your roster right now. It's, it's very contextual. Do you have uh, any feelings about LeBron James finally joining your conference? <laughs> I mean, the, the West as usual is insane. <laughs> I think we have the, the same 60, 40 win percentage. That's, maintained now since the late 90s which is really uh, remarkable i mean in a league that 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 you know should have parity over time with the bad teams getting high picks like it just hasn't happened and uh yes adding yet another uh, <laughs> yet another star to our league was was our, our our side of the league was not not ideal there are 14 teams in the west that are going for the playoffs right now there are 15 yeah, teams. I, th I think we're like second to last too. So, I mean, <laughs> it's it's uh, crazy. I mean, and we're on, I think we're yeah we're one under 500 right now, and I think we're second to last in the West. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a crowded. We're we're not gonna sprint out to 65 wins this year. I mean, I still think we have we can have a very good season and then get a top seed this year. Obviously we still have time to do that, especially with other teams struggling. Uh, but it's, it's not going to be one of these ones where we're coming out of the gate strong and coast into the one seed. Like, 
like last year. Uh, it's going to be more typical, uh, you know, where you're fighting for everything in the West. So, uh, but you obviously, uh, you were in Michael Lewis's book, the undoing project talking about cognitive biases and how you try to overcome that with the Houston Rockets and are still trying to overcome the human mind and how many tricks and traps there are. And I've written about LeBron James and how people in this generation are having a tough time putting him above Michael Jordan as the goat, because I don't know. I grew up watching Michael Jordan. I have art in my office here from Free Darko with him taking a shot and the whole entire audience is all of his his opponents that he's killed in the playoffs. And it's just he's almost like this like monster, this ghoul, this like this person that is almost superhuman uh, assassin, six and oh in the finals. And LeBron James is three and six in the finals. And I've written how using that record against LeBron and in favor of Michael Jordan is kind of like a logical fallacy. It supposes that you'd rather LeBron lose earlier than Michael did. Like LeBron has reached the finals in nine of his 13 postseasons. Jordan reached the finals in six of his 13 postseasons. LeBron, in other words, is nine and four in his career getting to the finals, whereas Jordan was six and seven. He has more win shares than Michael Jordan in the regular season and in playoffs. And you have said that he has raised championship probability more than Michael Jordan. And therefore, you consider him a bit of a big margin ahead of Michael in the GOAT conversation. So why are so many fans attached to this 6-0 and record with Michael Jordan? And why is that becoming like the, the, the standard of what a GOAT should be? Why is Michael unimpeachable in many people's eyes as the GOAT? Yeah, I just think it's just how... You know, it's just how the weird how the human mind works. I think you're right. I mean, uh, for sure, if you asked, if you sat down and rationally walked through anyone who, who you know, is a, at least a diehard fan or better and, and, and just gave them what you just said right there, how he's made it farther in every playoffs, won more, played longer at this point, more minutes in key games. Like, it's it's actually not super close uh, what what he's accomplished already relative to to Jordan in terms of, uh, his own, but you know, obviously the, the perfect record is a perfect record. It's, uh, you know, I think these debates come up in, uh, you know, in, uh, you know, in, in multiple sports. So there's really no answer and it's hard to compare across eras. So I've had people say like, well, am, am I allowed to think, you know, Jordan is better than, <laughs> than everyone else. And I'm like, for sure. Yes. You can. Like, yes, that's just whatever criteria you pick. I mean, I, I pick my criteria. That's why I, I have one solidly ahead of the other. What is your criteria? What does it look like? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very similar to what you just walked through. I mean, uh, the, uh, we we judge players whether they're on our team now or whether they're on our team, you know, or they're on other teams. Like, how much when you have that player relative to relative to you know who you could roughly replace them with, whether you want to pick replacement level or the average, uh, really doesn't matter in, the, in these kinds of cases. How much has that player raised that team's ability to to win a championship? And that's a you know, that's a pretty vague way to, to say it, but that's ultimately what my job is, is how do I raise the Rockets' championship probability over over a period of time and which players will, will do that? And, and if you look at, and if you look at, uh, you know, the LeBron, it's, 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 yeah, it's not, uh, he, he's done, you know, just unbelievable thing. I mean, the, to me, the simplest example that I give people is the Cleveland team. The first time he left for Miami, they won 60 games the year before he went to Miami. 
Uh, and then the next year, Cleveland was basically the same team and they won 20 some games. Uh, there's not a, there's literally not a human in any other major professional sport, team-based sport that has ever come close to that impact. Like not even remotely close. Right. And we're seeing it right now with Cleveland four and 15 for a while. They already changed coaches uh, after an 0 six start, they changed coaches and then Kevin Love hasn't been playing. And of course they don't have Kyrie Irving. This is playing out exactly like it did a few years ago when he left is it's just, you don't have this in football where, the, the best quarterback in the world only plays half the game. Um, and in many ways, if he's handing the ball off to his running back, he's not even playing those snaps either. Baseball, it's even worse, right? You can only go up once. The, the other example I give is, you, let's say, who is the greatest hitter in Major League Baseball history? I would say Barry Bonds, yeah. Barry Bonds at his peak, you know, where walking him was almost better than, than throwing the ball to him. In fact, that happened. Was it better? Where do you fall on that? Did you do the math? I think we did the math and walking was slightly worse, but I, that was long. I did work in baseball in the nineties. So like, yeah, I, I think I did the math, but anyway, the, the point being this Barry Bonds, if baseball was like basketball, Barry Bonds would hit, go up, hit a home run, go back to the dugout and say, Hey guys, wait a minute. I'm still the best hitter. I'm going to go up again. <laughs> like, yeah. he, and then he, and then honestly with the prevalence of switching defenses now, it's even more pronounced. So, Barry Bonds now goes to the plate and he says, oh, wait a minute. I don't really like who's pitching to me. I'm going to pick the worst pitcher who's sitting on the uh, on the sidelines of the other team and I'm going to make him pitch to me. So, you know, as switching defenses become prevalent, people wonder why, you know, James Harden had the, the greatest isolation play in the history last year is most teams are switching against us. He would generally be able to pick his defender. And yeah, if you take the one of the greatest offensive players of all time, James Harden, and he's allowed to pick who's going to guard him. Yeah, it ends up being pretty good. What James Harden is doing is he's Barry Bonds selecting his relief pitcher that shouldn't be in the leagues, but he's he's called up from AAA wherever. And going up over and over, ignoring the lineup card and choosing to go up every time. So, yes, it's a, it's a pretty big impact. What do you think is, I guess... That, so there are a couple factors here why you guys weren't aren't so far as good as you guys were doing last year. Of course, Trevor Reza and Luke Mbamute are two big names that people talk about. But also, is it just that people have an off season to think about how to stop you guys, whereas last year it was kind of new? And so, wait, we might want to change our strategy and hire to guard Chris Paul and James Harden in the pick and roll. I think that's some of it. But, you know, for, I hate to say it, but I mean, it usually... If you just go across the NBA and you say, like, why is that team struggling? It, it almost always is traced to injuries. Uh, and, and that's that's been a big and in our case, we had we had some suspensions as well. So and it's usually among their key players. So, you know, that's been uh, that's been a big factor. I don't want to gloss over the fact that we haven't played as well, even within that. But we, we have been winning more than two thirds of our games with those guys healthy. And we actually are extremely uh, positive on James Ennis and uh, Gary Clark's given us some good minutes. Uh, we've had some real good contributors, but, you know, some big guys that contributed a lot of very quality minutes for us last year have not been available. Nene, Brandon Knight's a guy we think can help. Uh, and, you know, he replaced Ryan Anderson, who gave us very quality minutes last year. You know, our depth has been not as good and a lot of that's on me but a lot of it's on injuries as well you also can't rebound and nna probably hurts well nna is our best actually our best rebounder as as you probably know so yes that turns out your five drives your rebounding more than anything nna is our best rebounder so yeah it, you know it shouldn't be that we go from the 
fourth best defense rebounding team to I think we're last, which is just astonishing to me. But, you know, we're going to figure that out. We're going to turn that around. But that's actually been the only issue with our defense. I mean, we've, well, sorry, we have more issues, but the biggest one has been, you know, if you give teams extra possessions, that's the worst thing a defense can do. So, so yeah, we've uh, worse than anything else, worse than fouling, worse than giving them high percentage shots, worse than anything else. Defense, you know, low defensive rebounding. If it's out of range of most teams, like if you're 30th, then that's going to crush any good defense. How cruel is reality? Game seven, Western Conference Finals, Chris Paul, everyone knows now, but that, that was a huge factor, him leaving with the injury. And then you missed 27 three-pointers in a row. As someone who's really big into Broadway, I mean, this seems almost like Shakespearean, that that tragedy of what happened with, with the Rockets season there. Like almost, you can't even script something like that. How much do you think about game seven and the, and the way things ended last year? I probably think about it too much. So. <laughs> uh, you know, because uh, like over over you know, breakfast, I'm, you're like, oh, 27, really, 27 in a row. Yeah, I'm big on you got to take advantage of your moments in life, and uh, you know that was obviously a big one and something. Uh, I and uh, the whole Rockets organization, uh, Coach D'Antoni, who hasn't won a title yet, Chris Paul, James Harden, who haven't won. I mean, uh, a lot of us have worked a long time in this league and worked towards that goal, and. Uh, you know, you never know when you're going to get as good of a chance. Our, our championship odds did flash at 50% uh, uh, in game five when, uh, you know, when, uh, right before Chris Paul uh, pulled his hamstring in yep. a way that he could he'd be out six and seven. Once he pulled his hamstring, our odds dropped uh, below 50%. Uh, they almost flashed 50 again when we were up, uh, <laughs> when we were up uh, 17 in game six and 15 in game seven. Um, Wait, do, when you say championship odds flash, do you have a computer that flashes that in real time? We track that, but no, no, I don't. It's not like it's on my phone. It's not <laughs> something you really need to track real time. But we, I went back just, you know, because again, I, t- I do think about it a little bit too much. I did go back and, uh, you know, sort of look at when our, our odds might have been over 50%. It never was during the year. It never was during the playoffs until we got uh, to at least game five in the playoffs. Facing maybe the best team ever, unfortunately, dampens the old championship odds for the whole league. But yeah, we got close, and uh, now you know. Hopefully, I got a long career ahead of me that uh, you know where we'll get uh, another shot. And uh, this year, you know, when we have our guys, we do feel like we can be better than last year. And I know I, I sound crazy saying that right now, given given where our team is at and things like that. But we really like you know what our role players are giving us, and our key guys are are the same. So we feel like we get healthy. We get everyone on the, on the same page, everyone working, people not having to play 40, 50 minutes uh, like they have in the last week. Uh, And we feel like we can be better than last year. And, you know, maybe, maybe golden state uh, isn't as strong as last year. Let's hope, let's hope the whole league. And one thing that is hurting everyone's eyes, I do think the East winner is going to be stronger than last year, whoever Mm -hmm. it is that's hurting everyone's championship odds in the last year now as well. Well, you talk about you guys are going to be better this year, hopefully than, than in years past, you have three months away from the 13th annual Sloan conference, which you run with Jessica Gelman's shout out to Jessica, who went to my high school at Staples Records, but the best athlete ever to come through Staples. Sorry, Kyle Martino. 
I'm a colleague with Kyle. Say, she could probably beat you at basketball. Oh, basketball. yeah. No, not probably. 100%. Um, if we played <laughs> one-on-one right now she, to 21, uh, she would probably beat me 21-zip. Uh, she's that good. So, anyway, that is taking place March 1st and 2nd in Boston. I think there are tickets still available. So, how do you top Obama, Barack Obama, last year, and why should people try to get to MIT, Sloan Conference? Oh, I mean, we've got a great lineup already uh commissioner silver's coming michael lewis is coming i always forget the lineup honestly because it's always so strong over here i think we're at the point where pixar stopped trying to top every movie like i don't know if we're gonna be able to top obama he's uh he's a unique individual throughout history and uh having him at the conference is something i'll remember forever and uh but uh you know we're gonna have a Great strong lineup uh, again, and uh, hopefully folks uh, can make it. If you want uh, tickets, mitssac.com and and grab those. I think there's a few left. Daryl, thank you so much for joining us today on the Haberstroh Show podcast at NBCSports.com. You can find it at all of your iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. So appreciate it, Daryl. Thank you for your time and best of luck the rest of the season and with the musical or whatever formations that musical takes from here on out. Congrats on that. Thanks so much, Tom. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Haberstroh Show. If you haven't already, go back and listen to my interview with David Griffin, the former GM of the Cleveland Cavaliers, a champion, great dude, and also super good at this whole talking about the NBA thing. He's better at this job than I am. Uh, So go listen to that. Also, go subscribe, rate, and review to the Haberstroh Show podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Please, please don't forget that. All right. Until next time.